Let's take a moment in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, which guides us, comforts us, and gives us your promises. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are filled with your word and your promises this very morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You and I have been taking this Easter journey together. We have been taking this journey of doubt and fear, of depression and defeat, to one of faith and joy. I mean, these ultimately, these Easter messages, this Easter season, is one that encourages us, that strengthens us, strengthens us, that lifts us up and gives us that endurance. And that is especially important in today's current climate. Because when you take a day, take take a look at today's current climate, is it is anything but an Easter message. There's a lot of fear out there. Now, there's one uh, psychiatrist and Yale faculty member. Uh, her name is Dr. Anna Usum, and she said this recently: "Fear and anxiety are as contagious as the virus." She said, we as a nation are in a situation unlike anything that we've ever faced before. Death has become this ever-present reality, and there's so much uncertainty that, it, that everybody is feeling that. There's so much uncertainty that everybody is feeling that uncertainty. It's true, right? When you take a look in the world, that's what you see. Fear, death, doubt, uncertainty. So here's a question for you this morning, and it's, it's an actual very serious question, not grim, but a serious question. Where do you find peace and assurance? In today's world, where do you find peace and assurance? Do you find peace and assurance in our medical profession? Do you find peace and assurance in our leaders? Where do you find that? Most people don't have much peace right now. Let me tell you about a group of uh, people who didn't have much peace. The disciples. The disciples did not have peace and assurance that evening on the day that Jesus was resurrected. As a matter of fact, on that Sunday evening, they were in the room. They were in an upper room and they were hiding. They had the door locked, right? They were exhausted. And you talk about stress levels being very high. It had been very, very high for a number of days. And they were probably on edge, as we would say. I mean, they were trying to take everything in. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, had been crucified. And he had died. And then he'd been buried. And then on that third day, Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb and he wasn't there. I mean, they came back with a story that astounded the disciples. And then Peter and John, they ran to the tomb and they didn't find Jesus either. And so they were trying to put this all together. And you talk about stress levels being high, about fear and anxiety being as high. It was about as high as they could get. Peace and assurance seemed very far from them. 
I mean, this wasn't the brave band of disciples that we often talk about that we see in, later on in Acts and throughout. This was not them at all. They were in the dark, doors were locked, and they were cowering. So again, where do you find peace and assurance? Is there even such a thing as Easter peace and assurance? And I want to tell you right now that there is. That there is peace and assurance for you this very day, no matter the circumstances you're in. This peace and assurance comes from Christ Jesus himself. And that's what he brought to the disciples. That's what he promises and gives to each of us who believe in him. For the disciples that evening, there were three things that Jesus brought to them. Peace and assurance. Then he commissioned them. He said, I'm going to send you. And then he equipped them. So that's our journey today, this morning. It is a three-part journey of peace and assurance, of commission and being equipped. So let's go with our first one, peace and assurance. We start with our reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now look, there's a lot of things that you and I can be afraid of. They can be imaginary or they can be real. The disciples were definitely afraid of the Jews. Look, they had taken the Messiah, the Christ, on trumped up charges and had him killed. And they were definitely afraid because they would have been blasphemous people in the eyes of those Jews, that they too would have been taken away, that they too might have been killed, that they too might have been crucified. So they were afraid, and they had good reason to be afraid. But they were also afraid because they had seen the Messiah die, and now the tomb was empty. And they were trying to put this all together. And I'm sure, I'm sure they were wondering Was he really the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ? Did we put our faith in the wrong person? So that's the situation. And so the doors are locked. They're cowering. And Jesus then comes and appears to them. Now, it doesn't say how he came into the room. It just says that he came into the room. And when he comes into the room, the first thing that he does, he does not say, Here I am, I'm alive, I have risen, I am real, I am the anointed one, the Christ, the Son of God. He doesn't say any of that, does he? The very first words he says to the disciples are, peace be with you. Isn't that interesting? Peace be with you. You could consider this the very first sermon that Jesus gave the disciples, and it was a sermon of peace. Peace be with you. Now, in those days, peace was a common greeting. 
you know, everybody said peace. In the Hebrew, it would be shalom, right? We, we know that. But here it's peace. But this isn't just a common greeting that Jesus gives, like, hi, how are you? Hope things are going well. That's not it at all. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that what he says in the very beginning points to the gospel itself. Peace be with you. Because at its heart, at its heart, the gospel is a gospel of peace. The good news at its heart is good news about peace. So what do we mean by that? How is the gospel a gospel of peace? Well, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Right? We covered that on Good Friday. It is finished. And when he declared it is finished, it means that the full price for all of our sin had been paid. All of the sin of the world had been paid in full. It was complete. It was done. And thus, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the wrath of God, all of that was fulfilled. Jesus paid that price there on the cross. It was done. It was complete. And the separation that was between man and God was now reconciled in Christ Jesus. And there was peace. This is what actually Paul writes about in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And what you have is verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Christ came and preached peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. I mean, isn't that a wonderful message? Peace be with you. Now, when we talk about peace, we're not talking just that feeling of peace and not just our feeling of peace because our feeling of peace changes depending on the circumstances, right? I mean, how many of you have been driving along and you're feeling very peaceful and somebody cuts you off and all of a sudden that peace is left? That's a very transitional, uh, that's a very uh, type of peace that can go by the wayside. That's not the peace that we're talking about here. The peace that we're talking about is always and forever, and it is found in Christ Jesus. Our peace is built on the certitude, certain, right? Certitude. An assurance that overcomes all fears because it is grounded in the reality of Jesus. 
Our peace is found in the reality of Jesus, his death and resurrection. Our peace isn't found here. It is found in Christ Jesus. We look to him for that peace and for that assurance. And this is important because I don't know about you. Really, I I don't know about you, but when I look inwards to myself and I rely on myself for peace, I don't have a whole lot of peace necessarily. The peace that I see in myself isn't very peaceful most of the time, truth be told. I mean, I, maybe it's different for you, but for a lot of people, there's a lot of thoughts, there's a lot of emotions, there's a lot of turmoil that's going on on the inside. And I know some people can't even sit still for a moment because they have no peace in themselves. All these doubts, all these fears come to the forefront, don't they? But it's, look, it's not even just about our current situation right now. It's not just about the virus. It's not just about COVID. It's about all sorts of other stuff, our fears, our doubts that they gnaw, gnaw at us. I mean, we, we have doubts about, are we a good enough parent? Are we a good enough spouse? Are we uh, a good enough Christian? Are we living the Christian life? I mean, we've got a lot of things there in which we're just not living up to expectations. We have a fear of not being loved. We have a fear of not being liked. And some of us, truth be told, we think that if people actually knew who we are, we would never be loved. I mean, these are the types of fears that just crash upon us like wave after wave after wave. And then we take a look in our lives and the things that we have done or left undone, the sin in our lives, just pound away and life looks pretty dark and it's not very peaceful. Again, it may be different for you, but I know a lot of people have some variation of this somewhere along the way. And here's what happens when you are overwhelmed by that, the natural tendency is to lock yourself in a room, right? To lock the door. To kind of cower in the darkness, in the shadows, because you can't take anything else. And there's no peace. And this is why we must look to Christ Jesus his word, his promises of who he is. Because in Christ Jesus, there's the certainty and assurance of peace, no matter the circumstances. I'd like you to think about something here. The peace that Jesus bestows on us is a proclamation and a promise. It is a gift given by Jesus to his disciples And it is also then conferred to all believers. So what do I mean by that? A proclamation. A proclamation means that that peace is there at that moment. In the here and now. Peace be with you now. And it is also a promise for eternal peace. 
and the peace that he promises now and the peace that is promised eternally transcends all circumstances. And this is the gift that Christ Jesus gives to his disciples and he gives to you and me who have faith in him. Go to his word. Listen to his word. There are three scripture readings that I'd like you to consider. The first is John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, do I give to you. Let, your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then in the John's letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 17 and 18. By this, love, by this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You see, Jesus didn't promise his disciples. He didn't promise you and me that we would never have turbulence in our life. As a matter of fact, the promise is that you will have turbulence in your life, that you will have trials and tribulations. But he says in the midst of all of this, in spite of the tough times, in spite of the swells of life crashing upon you, in spite of all of that, you can have peace. And you have peace not from your peace, but from the peace of Christ. And you hold on to the promise, the proclamation and the promise that he has given you. That's what he's talking about. You see, Paul went through a difficult time in his life. I mean, if you take a look at his missionary work, it was full of trials and tribulations. But listen to what he wrote from prison. This is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 through 7. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the first sermon that Jesus preached that's the first sermon that you and I should hear. It is a gospel of peace. It's the good news of peace and insurance, assurance. Now, Jesus said that to them, but he says, this is not just for you to keep yourself. This is for the world to know. So he gives them a commission. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, the Greek word for sent is apostello. And that's the word from which we get apostle. It has the meaning of being sent forth, equipped for a mission or commission. So Jesus told the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so 
I am sending you. So the question I have for you is, well, how did the Father send the Son? Now, we could cover a lot of stuff here, but just go to John 3.16. You know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know this one, right? How did the Father send the Son? Well, first, he sent in love. God so loved the world. Or another way to say it is, God loved the world thus. And so he sent his Son. He gave his Son out of love. But with a very specific purpose, that they believe in him that they believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And by believing in him as Lord and Savior, they have the promise of life everlasting, peace eternal. This is how the Father sent the Son. So Jesus tells the disciples, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Thus he is giving them the commission, the mission of going and sharing this gospel of peace with the rest of the world. So do you recall last week, we talked about faith comes by hearing. If you didn't get that, you can get that. uh, You can go back and, and look at that, listen to that message. But faith comes by hearing. I reference Romans chapter 10. I want to do Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 for you. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Faith comes by hearing, right? But unless somebody is sent, and it doesn't say just a preacher, without someone, right? Jesus said, you're to go and share the good news with the world so that they can hear. And faith comes by hearing. And you share my words with them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That's the commission. And so he's sending the disciples, and thus the disciples also pass that along to the rest of the church. This is the work we do. It's the gospel of peace. Charles Spurgeon put it succinctly. He said, it's the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. This is our task. This is our mission. So now that he has grounded them in the gospel of peace, he's given them a commission. What he does next is equip them. So let's go on. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus doesn't say, just go, I'm sending you out. 
Jesus always equips the believers to go out and equips them in a very specific way. He equips them with the Holy Spirit. Now, I bet some of you have been wondering about this thing behind my head here. I know you see it all the time, and it's, you know, maybe visually distracting. But what that is, is the symbol of the dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So as I stand here, I always pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to send out the message, right? Not just my words, but the words of the Spirit because I know my words by themselves have no effect. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit touches people, changes their hearts through God's Word. So what does the Holy Spirit do? There's many things we could talk about here, but I want to say just briefly, the Holy Spirit is to equip believers to build up the church and then to reach others. There's much more work that the Holy Spirit does, but here, we just want to focus on these three things that equips believers, build up the church, and then reach others. That's the work. You see, and we need the Holy Spirit to get the message out, not on our own will, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's God's work, and we are His instruments. So Jesus breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. So there's the gospel of peace. He commissions them and equips them. And now briefly, I want to touch upon something that can be very difficult for people to hear or to understand. It says, if you forgive, Jesus said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This becomes a very touchy topic for many people. Because nobody likes to talk about sin. And people often rise up in self-righteousness and say, I don't need to be forgiven. That's just between me and God. So how are we to understand this? Because Jesus gives this, he equips them through the Holy Spirit, and then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from many, it is withheld. This is also in Luke's account, Gospel of Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 48. He said to him, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So how are we to understand this? I mean, this could easily be abused, right? People could become power hungry with this and say, I can forgive sins, I can't forgive sins. Here's, I think, a good way to understand this. A fellow named George Campbell Morgan. He said this, you've got part of the quote up here. To whom have I right to say your sins are forgiven? That's the question, right? To any man, to any woman, to any youth who, 
conscious of sin, repents towards God and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if somebody confesses their sins and they are repentant before the Lord, we simply declare what Christ has declared, you are forgiven. But Campbell goes on to also say this, and when, for some reason of supposed intellectual pride, more often of moral wrongdoing, the soul has persisted in sin, saying, no, I cannot give this up, then I have had to say to that soul, your sins are for not, not forgiven, they are retained, they remain with you. You see, let's put it very simply. People want the peace of Christ without repentance of sin. But the peace of Christ comes from repentance of sin and faith in Christ. You can't have one without the other. So if somebody comes and confesses their sins, they are repentant, I declare what Christ declares to them, your sins are forgiven. But if there is no repentance, it's not that I don't forgive them. No repentance for God. God does not forgive them. That's what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus gives a message of peace and assurance. He then commissions commissions the disciples. And then he goes ahead and equips them with the Holy Spirit. All about proclaiming the gospel of peace through repentance and forgiveness of sin. And thus we have come full circle, haven't we? Peace and assurance. So what about you today? I would encourage you to seek the peace of Christ through his gospel, through the good news. Look, if you are really seeking peace and assurance, go to his word. Let those scripture readings that I gave you Just wash over you and then trust his proclamation now and the promise forthcoming for eternal life with him. And there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you in that understanding. Because it doesn't come just from our own intellect. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Next, Heed Jesus' call or Jesus' commission. He has given us the good news and then we are to share it. The whole gospel to the whole world. And it's all of the church. That's what we are to do as a body of believers. And then pray for the Holy Spirit to empower you in all of your endeavors. As you go about sharing the good news, as you go about encouraging others, as you go about lifting others in prayer through the leading, the power of the Holy Spirit, all glory to the Father and to the Son, the Holy Spirit. And to that we say, amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joy. CCC.com.